And now, it's time for the Shake and Blake Show live on Wildcat 91.9. I love it. Say it one more time. Shake and bake! Shake and bake. Shake and bake. Shake and bake. Shake it. Bake it. Does that feel good? Yeah. It rhymes. They're both birds. Awesome. Blake Crawford. The Shake and Blake Bowl. It's at Bell Snyder Family Stadium. It's just our faces on center field. John Grove. I think for K-State, in order to be successful, you're going to have to open up that passing game. Bring you all things K-State sports and even more. And it's Shake and Bake time. Welcome, everybody, into the Shake and Blake Show live here on Wildcat 91.9. My name is Blake Crawford alongside John Grove, as always. John, how are we doing on Friday night? It's a Friday night, Blake. I thought I could try something a little different, switch from one mic to the other. We got three mics, and uh, I just decided to switch the mics for tonight. It just, it's just that kind of night, Blake. It was there, so that was you just wanted to mix it up? That was the only reason? Well, then this chair is also pretty comfortable okay. that I'm sitting in as well. So, okay. Uh, it, it works out. It works out. Yeah, if you guys can tell, John's on a different side. I know it's – you guys, as soon as John started talking, I'm sure you're like, something's off. You know, he just sounds like he's in a different place right now. And he is. He's two feet – uh, to the left instead of uh, you know where he was before, or or I'm to <laughs> or I'm to Blake's right instead of Blake's left. Sure, yeah. Um, well, anyway, if it's your first time listening to the Shake and Blake Show, here we are a K State sports podcast. We've been doing almost I think we're close to ninety episodes now covering K State sports, the Big Twelve, college sports in general. If you love college sports in the Big Twelve, you're in the right place. Um, we're not going to talk the Super Bowl yeah, or sorry. any of the wacky stuff in the NBA. Sorry. John, you, John, not do you sorry. do you have a Super Bowl prediction though? Uh, hard overhead. Uh, <laughs> I can see Tom Brady winning more Super Bowls, but I just don't want to see Travis Kelsey or Patrick Mahomes win another Super Bowl. I, I mean, like out, outside of FL, I think Philadelphia's e- defense takes control and the mobility of Jalen Hurts just running all around. It's going to be a killer for the Chiefs. <sighs> you are such a loser, John. <laughs> You know, I can't well, believe like, you would say that in Manhattan, Kansas. Yeah, no, I, I, I said, <sighs> I said on 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 pointless okay, on, on countless shows over the week, and I, I mean, that's just my personal belief. Again, I mean, I'm rather choose hard overhead, but that's also, but I, the, the Eagles' defense is scary. I think they have like 40 sacks overall oh this my. year. That's first. Oh in, yeah, statistics in the whole in the whatever. NFL. Whatever. And the Chiefs are second, but it's not even close. Well, you know where my heart lies, John, obviously, as a Chiefs fan. So, uh. um, but, you know, not we're not talking the Super Bowl pass. So we've got a great show lined up. We're going to talk about OU in Texas leaving after the 2023-2024 season after some negotiations with the Big 12. And Fox will talk Colin Klein turning down the Notre Dame offensive coordinator position and the drama that ensued on K-State Twitter for a couple of days there. Mm. Uh, we'll recap K-State's win over TCU, talk about Big 12 standings, some of the matchups coming on Saturday, and the latest bracketology. And we'll also preview the K-State women's basketball matchup with the Sooners on Sunday. And then we'll also preview men's basketball taking on Texas Tech tomorrow in Lubbock uh, on Saturday, 6 p.m. on ESPN. But first, uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter at ShakenBlake785 so that way you don't you know when we're going live on Wildcat 919. It's every Friday at 6. Every Friday. Every single Friday at 6 p.m. But we also release an episode every Monday morning. Uh, recapping the weekend in K-State sports. So if you want to hear, you know, some of our thoughts from, you know, the game against Texas Tech tomorrow, that we'll talk about it on the next Monday. Uh, make sure you're following the podcast as well and leave mm-hmm. a review if you feel so inclined. It's just Shake and Blake wherever you get your podcast. Pretty good SEO. 
Uh, yeah, but SEO. Search engine optimization. Like, you know, if you look up Shake and Blake, like, you know, you don't get 30 million podcasts. It's pretty much uh, just like, there's like one other one, I think, and then it's ours. So, uh, nerd. Says, this is the stuff what? you should know, John. Sur- I'm, gonna be, I'm graduating what? in May. This is stuff you need to know. Anyway, all right. Well, <laughs> now that. <laughs> Now that I've plugged everything, let's let's talk about what we're here to talk about, John. Uh, we talked about it on last week, I believe, that we, you know OU in Texas, it didn't seem like a deal was going to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like they were going to be staying for two years, but that's not the case anymore. Um, the Big 12 were receiving a nice, crisp $100 million um, for OU in Texas' early exit. We're just waiting on Oklahoma and Texas state governing boards to approve it. Um, an interesting thing from the ESPN article about it is Fox is going to receive a pretty – a, a good portion of the hundred million to compensate for seven lost OU in Texas games. Um, On top of that, they're going to have Texas play at Michigan yeah. in twenty twenty four, so Fox can get that in there in inventory as well. Yeah, there was a bit of a game swap where I believe I don't remember what order it was, but they flipped uh, Texas and Michigan are playing twenty twenty four and twenty twenty seven. They flipped um, which team is at home because you know obviously the media plays a big part in this stuff too. Um, but I think it kind of puts a nice bow on college football in general because 2024, the playoff is going to expand to 12 teams. Um, and then you got, UC- yeah, USC and UCLA joining the big, joining the big 10. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just going to completely evolve over the, over the next few years, uh, just with everything capping. And, and on top of that, I mean, who knows what we're going to expect out of a big 12, especially with Brett Yormark still as the commissioner. Um, so it's just absolutely crazy. Um, in, in, in terms of a $1 million, uh, $100 million, not Dr. Evil, man, you're just blowing it every, every time, Blake. Um, but the 1 million, $100 million, uh, dollar deal for Texas and Oklahoma, that's going to be split up from OU and Texas. So it's going to be, they're going to be handing over 50 million instead of 80 million. Wish we could have had that. Uh, being the case, not necessarily so, um, but it's but it's going to be divided to the eight like current Big Twelve schools and Fox. Fox is going to get twenty million dollars. The Big Twelve is also going to uh, the rest of the Big Twelve teams, like the the, the I rate eight is what they call, and they're going to receive ten million dollars as well. So I mean, yeah, catching just a little, just a casual little, you know, ten million dollar check. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe you played fifty million dollars just to get out of a conference a year early. I mean, you know, they've obviously got a ton of money to work with, uh, both OU and Texas. I think you know Fox put out a graphic a while ago. I think OU's the most valuable, um, like college football team in the mm-hmm. country. So they've obviously got a ton of money to work with. But I think this leads into kind of the next part here. It's, you know, we're playing chess here. What's the Big 12's next move now that OU and Texas are leaving a, yep. bit, a bit early? We obviously, there's been a lot of talk about the four corner schools of, uh, from the Pac-12, um, you know, when they could possibly join the Big 12. You know, there's obviously, then there's the Gonzaga piece into it as well. You know, will a, you know, will a Power 5 conference accept a school that doesn't have football because, I mean, besides Notre Dame, there's no other, you know, um, school in the country or conference in the country that yeah. has done that. We saw the Big East do it way back when um, with, like, their basketball teams combined with, like, Syracuse and Pittsburgh. They were all just one big conference, but the problem was 
was that the Big East was relying too much on basketball to the point where they had too many basketball teams to share for revenue and all that. And Syracuse, Pittsburgh, they were not having it. Uh, same goes for West Virginia. They wanted they they had to uh, head dodge. I mean, escape dodge and uh, hit the first uh, first thing smoking or whatever. It's like that. But um, uh, we did get the we did get a little bit of uh, info um, from Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated that um, Brett Yormark he's looking to uh, get a little more aggressive in terms of pursuing further expansion. Um, yeah, I mean this this comes right off the heels of. Um, what of uh, the not just the new TV deal that the Big 12 has in line with Fox and ESPN, Oklahoma, Texas leaving, but this is also like right in the thick of things in terms of how bad the situation is in terms of the Pac-12 as well. I mean, they're, they're, and looking at the uh, statement from the Athletic, um, there was three people with knowledge of a discussion said that George Kliakoff has been struggling to find partners willing to pay close to the league, uh, to what the league is seeking. I mean, you had two members uh, saying that Kliakoff overpromised the rest of the Pac-12 teams uh, and, and their bidders how much there would be in terms of their revenue. They were seeking to get north of $40 million, when in reality the best they're going to be able to get to is just barely getting to what where the Big 12 is and 31.6 million as well and that's going to be whether or not they expand with San Diego State and SMU uh, to the Pac-12 as well and the thing that sucks for the Pac-12 most is that they they may get more money I mean like the same around type of money but the problem is that's going to be Amazon ESPN well more for the most part Amazon like they're going to have 70% of that of the games being live streamed and that's just going to raise a concern on visibility and you're already seeing one of the ad's um, coming out saying we don't have a deal done because it hasn't been good think about what's going to be the consequences when they get that deal done in terms of visibility i mean you're thinking about some of these teams that have programs at stake like oregon football washington football arizona basketball like i mean if if look if i'm arizona i don't know what i'd be doing right now uh, I mean, y- y- you have an opportunity to play in the best conference uh, instead of having to uh, live stream games playing against uh, California of all teams uh, as well. It's just absolutely terrible. It's, uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, I mean, j- just a lot of stuff, a lot of factors. Deion Sanders, of course. I mean, there's going to be a lot of attention circling around him. Utah's football team on the rise as well. It's just it and, and the Pac-12 could have really the Pac-12 would have not been in this situation if they have gotten the deal done early, like like when USC and UCLA left. Uh, instead, I mean Brett Yormark um, moved moved up the the months and years, like when when to sign a TV contract, and he got it done last semester i mean what what was that like around september october he got it done and uh with espn and fox not only did they get it done and in terms of security but they're gonna have more um they're they're gonna have uh uh, what is it uh they're gonna have more visibility with espn and fox in terms of linear cable uh so 
I mean, it, just a lot of big opportunities missed on the Pac-12's part. Yeah, I mean, Brett Yarmark just beat him to the punch and got their media rights done deal way faster. I mean, it seems like we've been hearing about this Pac-12 you know, deal that could get done like forever. I mean, how long have they been negotiating for? Like four months? I mean, it seems like it's been just such a long time hearing about, oh, you know, it could be coming soon. Like, you know, January is supposed to come. That's obviously already passed. I mean, I saw an article that, you know, it seems like um, the media rights people, you know, they're kind of undervaluing Pac-12 because Brett Yormark beat him to the punch and got their media rights deal done. So, I mean, you know, I think Clackhoff's just a lot of a lot of talk, it seems, especially with, He's, you know, yeah. USC and UCLA. He, Nothing he, seems to be getting done, and it's just um, the Pac-12 could be, you know, salvaged if they had better management. I don't think, you know, it's because USC and UCLA left no. are going to leave that the Pac-12 will just, you know, completely dissipate. But it seems like the aftermath of it, how it's being managed, is going to be the reason for its de- possible downfall. The first part, and I want to get to this a, a little bit, is not because of what George Kliakoff has done before USC and UCLA left. That was on Larry Scott. He was spending too much in terms of rental properties in San Francisco involving the Pac-12, the TV, the TV, the Pac-12 network is a hot mess. Um, so, and, and on top of that, um, another factor to point out is that USC and UCLA's, um, a lot of our alumni work for Fox, uh, and the, and, um, the Big Ten also has a lot of LA as well. So that, I mean, that, that connection's there, but I mean, they didn't, I mean, UCLA did not have any financial security at all. And if they were able, if they were going to continue going through this, uh, going on this route, kind of what Cal is doing with the Pac-12 network, all that terrible stuff that that Larry Scott put out there, um, it's just not going to work out. And it's not that George Kliakoff did any of this, but he's not helping out <laughs> the situation at all. I mean, he's talked the talk, but he can't walk the walk. He hasn't done Jack. You know what? All he's done is go to. Board of Regents meetings of, of UCLA and Cal and saying like, hey, uh, this this is terrible uh, for, for in terms of the travel. UCLA and USC, they're, they're going to have to travel to like Indiana Records and all that stuff. And, and, and meanwhile, Brett, Brett Yormark is out here not not just, I mean, not just getting deals done, but he's also like just looking at all the options available. I mean, he had Gonzaga on his radar last semester and it's possible that by the end of this season, we could be looking at Gonzaga in the Big 12. So, I mean, Brett Yormark is pretty much doing what he's been what he's been told. I mean, he is a straight up businessman. He comes from New York of all places. He he is going to get the job done. And 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 it's disappointing from George Kliakoff's perspective that he's from MGM. Uh, he he's done a lot of sales sales stuff in terms of MGM and all that, but it hasn't pan out for him, and it hasn't pan out for the Pac-12. Yeah, it seems like Brett Yarmuk's just got his finger on the pulse of college sports, and he understands what needs to be done with this phase of co- uh, conference realignment. And it's something that's going to keep coming up over the years, over and over again. That's going to continue to evolve, and it'll be interesting to see how it happens. Now, let's move on, John. Uh, spend let's a couple minutes on um, a little bit of a scare. Um, obviously, Ugh. Thad Ward, our wide receivers coach, already left for Illinois, but um, there was a report by Football Scoop that Colin Klein was in South Bend Wednesday and Thursday to interview for the job. Um, in the article, it said, quote, the Irish's personal interactions with Klein were the deepest, from Klein's interactions with Freeman to his time talking football with Notre Dame's offensive coaching staff. So it seems like the interview went well. Um, based on what we've heard, he was offered the job and has declined it. So I mean, it was a bit, it was a scary couple of days on Twitter, you know, thinking that we might lose our offensive coordinator, um, you know, who just led us to a Big Twelve championship. 
but he's declined the offer. I'm sure you know they're working on <laughs> getting Colin Klein, you know, pay, paid well. Um, but you know, we we kind of dodged a bullet. Colin Klein's going to stay a Wildcat. One of the one of a few friends, but but um, get, that goes to college at Notre Dame. He texted me like all the flights and and, and like he has an app that that shows all the flights and showed from Manhattan to South Bend, Indiana. And Notre Dame's had Colin Klein on his radar. It's been him, uh, and also they had. Uh, what is what's his name? Andy Ludwig of Utah. That's he's likely going to be the candidate now uh, for Notre Dame. Um, but man, I mean, it was like the 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 heat was on in terms of Colin Klein going to Notre Dame. He had some personal ties with Marcus Freeman, some agency stuff back in the John Curry day, uh, John Curry days. Um, it, I mean, it was it was accurate that Klein is no longer a candidate for the offensive coordinator. Um, Reports that Klein was the guy for the job, like the number one overall guy, that wasn't fully a done deal. Uh, he was he was never officially offered the job at Notre Dame, but I think that at the same time he used Notre Dame as potential leverage to kind of wake, I don't know if it's true or not, but possibly wake up Gene Taylor <laughs> and possibly get the contract. Ne- ne- never mind, we- we're still fine. Uh Notre Dame liked him. Things were well. I mean, they, but the fit wasn't necessarily ideal for both sides, both entities, and they just had to go their separate ways. But um, boy, K State dodged a bullet. <laughs> K State dodged a bullet. This would have been Brent Venables, nineteen ninety eight, all over again. What was nineteen ninety eight? Right. Yeah. Uh, Brent Venables decides to uh, leave K State, go go to Oklahoma, and be under Bob Stoops. I mean, man, he's just. Well, that, I mean, I can't imagine what it, what it would have been like back back then. I just yeah. would have been brutal. I mean, if, think about think about how Twitter was back was back in 1998. Yeah, <laughs> there'd be a lot of smoke coming from K State Twitter. But um, I guess I mean K State. If you want to talk about now where they're in, they're to the point where we're having a lot of success. But now it's so successful that you're going to see some of the bigger boys. Notre Dame, and we saw Alabama also in contact with Colin Klein, Texas A&M to a lesser extent. They were interested in possibly landing Colin Klein as well. So K-State's now to the point where they're going to be looking. I mean, it's like Iowa State with Matt Campbell looking at jobs, Dave Aranda at Baylor. But now it's kind of affecting K-State on the lower end of the spectrum. We already saw it with Thad Ward going to Illinois, and now we're seeing it um, with uh, with Colin Klein starting to get some talks out of some of the other schools as well but a do- a bullet dodged a, bu- a bullet <laughs> dodge i am i am in bu- i'm in relief yeah I, I didn't think that i mean you know i think there wasn't a doubt in my mind that colin clyde would eventually be considered for maybe you know another offensive coordinator position even a head coaching position somewhere yeah. else but after his first year i think that was kind of a shock to me you know it speaks to the success he has and how much he knows about the game of football but it was definitely that something that caught me off guard. But we're happy he's staying a Wildcat. Hopefully he can be a Wildcat and our offensive coordinator for a very long time. And, and yeah, Oh, sorry. And, and, oh, I know how much you wanted to click on that. Um, and, it, it, I mean, if it, if it is for a next, next head coaching gig, like, perfect. Like, congratulations. I'm just not a fan of a lateral moves, and especially <laughs> coming from – a, a former player, like he's going to take the same job at Notre Dame. I mean, granted, yeah. Notre Dame probably got probably has the big cash and all, but 
Uh, I mean, I would just be that'd just be heartbreaking. On top of that, Notre Dame's already stolen uh, one one of our own and Dylan Edwards. So I was, yeah. Ne- next no. thing you know, uh, old 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 K State pointed this out. Next thing you know, they're gonna steal the Wabash from us uh, <laughs> and stuff like that. It's just N- N- Notre Dame needs to needs to dial it back a little bit. You know. It- yeah, they def- they definitely need to chill out. Let's take a quick break, John. But coming up next, we'll recap the Cats' win against TCU, talk Big 12 standings and matchups. Up next on The Shake and Blake Show with Blake Crawford and John Grove. And we're back on The Shake and Blake Show live here on Wildcat 91.9 with Blake Crawford and John Grove here to talk K-State's win, get back in the win column against TCU this past Tuesday, 81-62 to the final. You end the game on a 17-2 run. Something yep. else to note in the game, John, Marquise Noel set the record for most assists in a single season in this game. Got 187 assists on the season, passing. Steve see what I did there? Passing, steep assist record. Anyway... <sighs> TCU without their best player, Mike Ma- – I just had to get that in, John. That, that, um, was, a, that was a hit, not a miss. Good, good job. Didn't, uh, <laughs> I was impressed. <laughs> they were missing their best player, Mike Miles Jr. Um, Eddie Lampkin played in this game. He was kind of questionable coming in, but he was pretty much a non-factor. Zero yeah. points, one board. It's great to get back in the win column, especially you know that surge of momentum we got the way to the end of the game was really awesome. Even if it's not, T- even if it's not against you know TCU squad at a hundred percent, they did keep this a pretty close game for most of the first half. Um, got a bit of a bigger lead in the second half on the K State side. They got it back to six, and then we go on that seventeen to two run to end it. This was so it was a fairly close game, um, but you did like what you see um, from this K State squad, kind of getting back, yeah, um, to their a little bit to their form. I think kind of well, kind of flash uh, for. Kind of moving forward a little bit uh, in the second half, I was kind of worried we were going to see the same thing uh, with TC. What we saw against Texas with TCU making a quick 6-0 run to put themselves back in striking distance. But K State, not only were they able, were they able to fully compete in the fight, they they led through on out in the second half. But really, uh, what was it? What was it like? K State was up 65-59. Here, I'm gonna look through stats broadcast. Really yeah, quick. it was. Um, yeah, because yeah, we, it was 65-59 with like 4:49 to go, and next thing you know, <laughs> K State just turns tur- turns everything up, in uh, just a lot of great quality minutes from some of the players that haven't that we haven't seen um, take the court as much, or or has hasn't had as much of a scoring output compared to Marquis Noel or. Uh, Keontae Johnson as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you have a game where Tyke Green, who's obviously somebody we should talk about, 13 points, 9 boards, a series of dunks. I mean, he was playing the 4 for a little while. Um, He did a really great job in that role. Jerome Tang um, shared a story in the post-game press conference talking about how Tyke Green came to him and said, you know, what can I do to help this team? You know, it feels like he's not helping. It's kind of a similar thing that talked about with Ishma Sood earlier on in the season. Mm -hmm. So to see that they're able to come to Coach Tang and find a way to add to this team, especially when we really needed it helped. You know, Desi Sills had a great game as well, 14 points. 29 points off the bench helps. You know, 29 points off the bench, you win the rebound battle, uh, you win the turnover battle. I think you get more points in the paint. <laughs> There's, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to lose a lot of those games. But I think what really stood out to me, John, is um, we had 19 assists on 28 made baskets. You go back to our previous three losses, 
Um, you know, only 11 assists against Texas. Yeah. 15 assists against KU. And then the Iowa State game on the road, you know, 13 assists. We had more turnovers than assists in that game. So I think getting back to our passing and moving the ball really well, which I think we did, you know, getting out in transition, um, especially when TCU threw that zone against us. I think we were doing a really great job of getting good looks, passing the ball instead of just, you know, playing some iso ball. And during the postgame uh, press, uh, press conference uh, after Texas, Marquise Noel, he 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 said he he put the full accountability full accountability towards himself. He knew he made some big mistakes down the stretch, and um, just to see him kind of go back to his ways um, while limiting his turnover margin, um, I think that was a really great uh, another big highlight to uh, to point out as well. Yeah, uh, 18.7 assists for Noel, but he did have he did have six turnovers. That's something I want to touch on later in our preview against Texas Tech. Yeah. He has definitely struggled with turnovers in the past few games. Keontae Johnson with six turnovers as well, something else we want to talk about. Keontae yeah. Johnson's really gotten in foul trouble the last few games. That, that, that is so we've needed people like Tyke Green and Dusty Stills to step up, and it was great that they have. But we really got to keep Keontae Johnson on the floor. Is 100% of it his fault? No. Um, I think there's these. It seems like sometimes he's getting the shack treatment, where he's just in the post getting berated, and they're not calling anything, which I respect. I think the, I think this was a decently well refed game. I think they let yeah. him play. I respect letting the physicality happen. I'd rather have that than you know the refs. It turns into the ref show, and we're shooting seventy free throws. So I can totally respect that. Um, but I think sometimes with Keontae, it seems like he's not getting some calls that he might deserve, given his star power as well, because we know that's how you know basketball. Ball works, you know. There's certain well, we know how it works politics. With, we yeah. we know how it works out with the blue bloods and all that. We we, we don't need to get into all that stuff though. <laughs> yeah, we, me, I I ran it long enough uh, on 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 yesterday's show with Colby. So, I mean, it, we we just got the facts po- pointed out. I I didn't. Well, it, the thing. Well, I just completely butchered out on the last part because I didn't pay attention to it as much. But you you are right. But turn the the turnover margin has been a little bit uh, precarious at times. I mean, you pointed out with Marquise Noel, uh, when TCU uh, adapts to the zone, um, you know, there's going to be a few problems uh, in regards to the turnover margin as well. So, um, I, I mean, I thought, I thought to me it was, it felt as if it was a little bit lighter, but at the same time, um, case, uh, uh, Marquise and Keontae were getting good looks uh, over uh, inside as well to uh, – um, uh, tacky green and uh, late, late, in the, late down the stretch. So. Yeah, and even without Mike Miles Jr. and Eddie Lampkin kind of, you know, still playing hurt and being a non-factor, you still had Damian Baugh and, you know, Emmanuel Miller. You know, they both got in double figures and did some decent stuff. But, I mean, the thing yeah. that just kills TCU is their three-point shooting. I mean, they're the worst three-point um, shooting team in the league, and you shoot at 3 of 17, 18%. You know, I think in the modern college basketball, that's going to be really tough to win you a lot of games. And then K-State, I mean, you know, that 17-2 run certainly helps our field goal percentage. You know, we were 62% in the second half, John. I mean, you know, we talked about it um, on Monday with the Texas game that, you know, Texas shot 57% in the second half. Yeah. You know, it's tough to beat a team when they're just that. <laughs> we're just shooting it that well. Marquise <laughs> Noel's literally, you know, hitting shots from the Shamrock zone. Or, you know, I think Rich Hollenberg said – Marysville? Yeah. Or... So, yeah, I think Rich Hollenberg said Bourbon and Baker. So Bourbon he's, you know, Baker. reasonably oh, cultured. Oh, all right. 
Um, so, you know, he's he's got a decent understanding of the area. Rich Hollenberg actually came by on Monday and talked to, uh, I couldn't make it, but talked to some broadcasters at Wildcat 91.9, which is yeah. very cool of him. Um, they did a great call on the game. You want to talk – well, oh, man, I kind of paused there for a second. You want to talk about um, some of the balanced scoring that TCU had a little bit in the game. I don't know if they would have had some of the numbers – uh, like they would if they had uh, Eddie Lampkin and Mike Miles at full health because they'd be really the ones carrying the load for this TCU squad. And they, uh, and to, to TCU's credit against Oklahoma State, I mean, they had Emmanuel Miller with 17, uh, O'Bannon had 11, uh, Damian Ball had 12, and you also had Shahada uh, Wells, uh, who also scored 14, uh, and Jacoby Coles. Coles and Wells did a good job early on um, getting uh, getting some good looks inside against K-State as well. Um, but it was just not meant to be. Yeah, so this was a big game in terms of where things will play out in the Big 12 standings because um, you've obviously still got Texas at the top at 8-3, and three, but now we're back to this big you know, four-way tie for second place. You know, Iowa State, K-State, More Baylor, chaos. KU, all at 7-4. and four. Um, TCU's fallen off a little bit. They're at seventh place right now at six and five. I mean, you just gotta kind of feel bad for them, you know, not mm-hmm. having Mike Miles, because um, he, you know, he was the preseason Big Twelve Player of the Year, so he's a huge factor for them. Uh, and they've got to play Baylor, I believe, in Waco. <laughs> um, that's oh, so it doesn't get any easier for TCU going forward. So hopefully they can, you know, get Eddie Lampkin healthy, healthy get Mike Miles back. Because, I mean, John, oh, my God, oh, they play TCU at home. Or, sorry, Baylor plays TCU in Fort Worth, so it's a little helpful for TCU. But then yeah. they got to go to Hilton Coliseum to play Iowa State, which is just – that's just a, a rough little two-game stretch there for well, TCU. I mean, just looking at everybody in the Big 12, you got to be feeling really good at where K-State's at. I mean – we we mentioned it countless times on the uh, on this show. I mean, we got all the top six teams in the Big Twelve out of the way on the road. That's all done. Now we're looking to a stretch when we we get Texas Tech tomorrow. Uh, then then Oklahoma, West Virginia, Oklahoma State on on the road. I mean, again, it's a Big Twelve. There's no there's no night off in the Big Twelve. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you, you're it's it's not like you're having. It's not how ha- it's not like you're having to deal with a whole slew of top ten, top twenty-five teams uh, all at once. Uh, and and but for the ones that you do, you get them at home, and you're just playing, comparing that to the rest of uh, the teams in the league. I mean, they're still playing a slew of top twenty-five teams, and uh, and and just other orders like that. So, uh, in terms of how the schedule lines. I think K State got the benefit compared to everybody else uh, in terms of how the schedule. Uh, concludes down the stretch. Yeah, I think it's definitely um, maybe an understatement to say that our schedule was front loaded. I mean, we got some of the you know some of the toughest teams on the road. You know, just out the gate. You know, Texas on the road, Baylor on the road, Iowa State on the road. I mean, those are all really tough teams to play on their home floor. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you know, kind of going into what's going to go happen tomorrow in the Big Twelve. Um, there's not any crazy matchups. We mentioned Baylor, TCU. Um, that'll be a really good game, but it's just it's just tough. TCU is a different team without Mike Miles. Yeah. I'm um, looking at some other games. You know, West Virginia taking on number five Texas at the Farrell Center in the morning on ESPN two. The Moody Center. The Moody Center. Fair, sorry, fair. Farrell Center's Baylor. But uh, yeah, Farrell Center's in Baylor. I, I thought. I, well, first of all, I was thinking of the Farrell Center as Texas's old arena. 
for a second. Yeah, that's, I can't remember what it's yeah, called. I Frank Irwin Center. Yeah. That's, okay. that's, that's, that's very old uh, dump of a basketball <laughs> arena. I got uh, my arenas mixed up. But, yeah, West Virginia taking on Texas. Um, West Virginia, we'll talk about bracketology a little bit later. But West Virginia is a team that's, you know, I think some people have as an eight seed all the way to being, you know, the last four teams in. So if they can get a win yeah. against Texas, you know, on the road, that would be a huge win for them. KU's taking on Oklahoma at home. Oklahoma, another team that's definitely kind of on the bubble. Yeah, they, they, they've fallen off a little bit. Yeah. Though. Ever since that Alabama win, they have just taken loss after loss. And, you know, it's yeah. not it's not getting e- any easier for Porter Moser. You just have a few media outlets and some – fans and Norman <laughs> just kind of calling him out so rough rough times a little bit for Oklahoma yeah it's tough when you're not a basketball school and you know your football team lost in the cheese it bowl and, so. you got, and, you, and you got the thunder uh just a little uh just oh a little yeah as well so that, that isn't going to help out with attendance figures either yeah it's definitely not the best home atmosphere um in all of the big 12 I think and I think most people would agree See, on lost, that lost their last three games and well, last two games have been on the road, but they did lose uh, to Oklahoma State and Norman as well. So, I mean, that's that's not necessarily a home court advantage. And I mean, Kansas is probably going to be fortunate enough to travel to one of the worst venues, <laughs> college basketball, uh, because besides Jalen Wilson, Kansas would be nothing more than where where Kentucky would be, yep. uh, which would be competing at the bubble. Yeah, should definitely send a Valentine's Day gift basket to Jalen Wilson. One more matchup to talk about here, John. 5 p.m. ESPN2, Oklahoma State taking on Iowa State. In Hilton Coliseum, it's very important to mention where Iowa State is playing because that determines what team you get. Um, it is mm-hmm. unbelievable. Uh, Iowa State on the road is just a totally different team compared to them at home. I mean, I'm sh- I, let me it's, pull up their it's, schedule. It's a, it's a Jekyll and Hyde type of yeah. situation. Uh, just Iowa State there. They're, they're, oh, I thought yeah. uh, I thought Iowa State was going to be – I mean, they, they have the quality roster and the, the, the strength – uh, of, of schedule to be in the top 16, but the one knock on Iowa State and Big 12 play is that they just can't win on the road, and they're pretty fortunate um, that they're going to be playing on their uh, they're going to be playing on their home court. Uh, on top of that, um, you also have uh, Avery Anderson ha- uh, having some health concerns for Oklahoma State as well. Poor free throw shooting uh, and the two elite defensive, and you also got an elite defensive unit in Iowa State as well. That gave West Virginia a pretty good push in Morgantown. Yeah, this is a team that at Hilton Coliseum can beat KU by double figures. But I mean, they lost their last five road games, John. And you look at their, um, you know, their road games in the future. They are rough. I mean, at K State, at Texas, and then, uh, you know. I think it's just at K-State, at Texas, based on what I'm seeing here. So, I mean, it's it, those are two very tough teams to play. Um, and an Oklahoma State team, you know, again, no Avery Anderson, but they're another bubble team at 15-9 and nine right now, 6-5. and five. That's been a bit on the rise. You know, they're sixth in the Big 12 right now. Yeah, you're seeing Oklahoma State and West Virginia uh, starting to heat up a little bit uh, back compared to where they were early on in the conference slate. Yeah, definitely. So, John, how about we take a quick break? But up next, we'll break down the latest bracketology, preview the women's men's t- ba- or the women's basketball teams matchup with OU, and preview the men's basketball teams matchup with Texas Test next on the Shake of Blake Show with Blake Crawford and John Grove.
And we're back on the Shake and Blake show with Blake Crawford and John Grove. Here we're going to talk some bracketology and then uh, preview the women's matchup against OU this Sunday and then preview K-State men's basketball matchup with Texas Tech. So let's start with bracketology here, John. Let's, let's start with it. Jerry Palm from CBS. Um, just generally in the big toe, he's got Oklahoma State and West Virginia in his last four in. Um, so those teams have a lot of lot to play for down the stretch. Now there's a decent amount of variability in all of these uh, brackets that we're going to look at, John. But this is easily the best one. Um, Jerry Palm has K State as a two seed in the Midwest region, which is just absolutely awesome. Because we're a two seed in the Midwest region, why? Because we obviously get the Sweet 16, and Elite Eight in Kansas City, which will be awesome. But the two seed plays in Denver, which is really cool as well. It's not too far of a drive for K-Staters. I mean, if you're in the top 16, well, top eight, you're going to get your opportunity at where you want to play at. So for K-State, it would be either Des Moines or Denver. Um, I mean, for me, I I mean, I know Des Moines is closer in in terms of distance, but I prefer Denver uh, because it's easy to get around a little bit more. You also got family uh, in Colorado as well. So, So, I mean, I'd prefer Denver. Uh, but I mean, you got you also had to deal with altitude, but that's who cares? <laughs> who cares? We don't even know about that yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look looking at this bracket, Creighton is starting to uh, really heat up. Uh, they were they were struggling in uh, non-conference play. They lost to Nebraska early on. They're starting to really rev up. Auburn's kind of slipping a little bit. That's who the seven ten matchup would be. Yep, we'd yep. be facing Eastern Washington. Uh, the 15th. Season. Yeah, they're the the Eagles or something. I was just based on their the logo. Eagles. Okay, not a bad guess. Yeah, player of Creighton and Auburn. Obviously played Creighton in 2018. You know Marcus Foster, Creighton in 2018 on our run to the Elite Eight. Alabama mm-hmm. is the one seed in that region. So there's Jerry Palm. He's got us as a two seed in the Midwest region. Let's go to USA Today. Uh, oh, USA Today. Okay. I just it popped up, so I figured I'd throw it in here. Um, eight teams in the Big 12 in the tournament, which I think is a common for pretty much every single bracket. Yeah. Um, we're in the three seed. We're a three seed in the East region playing Hofstra. Um, do you the know what pride. Hofstra is? Are they the? Is that really their mascot or their nickname? Uh, their nickname. They have, it's pretty much like a group of lions. Okay, the Hofstra Pride. That's yeah. that, well, that's pretty lame. Um, I'd the, say it's, <laughs> their logo looks pretty cool. I think, oh, yeah, their logo does look pretty cool. Anyway, three seed in the East region. Um, if we were to win against the Pride, uh, we would play the winner of Providence, uh, Nevada, or Kentucky. So, old mm-hmm. friend alert with Nevada. Um, already played them this season. And Houston is the one seed in the region there. Let's go to Joe Lenardi. Go ahead, John. Possible old friend alert. K-State would deal with former West Virginia transfer Oscar G. Yeah, that's who's true. Been revving it up for Kentucky. Yeah, uh, he was the player of the year last year, right? I think he was. I, am, I I can't recall. Okay. Well, anyway, hopefully I'm right on that one, or else I look really stupid right now. It's let's a, go. To, it's okay. We're <laughs> we're both stupid. Let's go to. That's a great sell for the show. Let's go to Joe Lenardi from ESPN. Uh, he's got Oklahoma State in his last four and in this one. Um, Big Twelve and Big Ten tied for the most teams making the tournament at eight. Um, Lenardi, which would, which would be very impressive by the way. Yeah. Because the Big Ten has fourteen, while the Big Twelve has ten. So. Yeah. Yeah, a very big difference there. Um, Three seed in the West region playing Colgate. Colgate. That's a terrifying matchup. They play, I mean, they're either a 14 seed or a 15 seed, and they play close. Yeah. They almost beat Alabama in 2020. Or was it Iona? Oh, no, it was Arkansas. They almost beat Arkansas in 2020. Uh, They gave. I want to say Tennessee a pretty good a pretty good run for their money in 2021. They they're a dangerous outing. 
Yeah, what's their nickname? Uh, the Raiders. The as Raiders much as we love to lame. call them the toothpaste. Yeah. I like toothpaste better. Yeah, me too. But anyway, what's fun about this one is if we were to beat the toothpaste, Colgate, we would play the winner of Illinois, which would be fun, North Carolina and Texas A&M. I mean, a Jerome Tang versus Brad Underwood matchup. We've talked about it because it's been um, predicted in previous bracketology. So you get Brad, Play- un- so you yeah. get either Brad Underwood, a Blue Blood, or a former Big Twelve rival. Yeah, I think it's a win-win-win um, situation either way. Uh, let's go to Kevin Sweeney from Sports Illustrated. The last oh one goodness, here. He's right. he's the one who's done K State the dirtiest. Um, put us as a four seed. Yeah, put us as a four seed. Um, it doesn't really. He put us as a four seed. Over Baylor and Iowa State, who both has three seeds, I think that's a little weird considering, you know, Iowa State has a worse record. You know, they've lost their last five home games. They've lost to Texas Tech, which is, I I guess it's, you know, a quad one loss because Texas Tech is in the Big 12. But, you know, when we beat Baylor on the road, I know head-to-head is, you know, they're probably just looking at the net rankings, but I think it's a little weird to put us as a four seat over those two Big 12 teams. Probably looking at the net ranking and strength of schedule. But we're also playing Hofstra, the pride, um, in this bracket from Kevin Sweeney, and we play the winner of Indiana and Oral Roberts, which uh, I don't really have a comment on. But I'm terrified of Oral Roberts as well. <laughs> I mean, they've done it before. They have some pretty good key key playmakers as well. Um, so does Indiana as well. I mean that that's a that's a. I mean, I mean, Indiana's definitely more gruesome second-round matchup, but Oral Roberts can make some noise as well. Yeah, I think Kevin Sweeney as KU is a one seed in his bracket as well, which of I think is, is interesting. Um, so kind of, you know, big picture looking at these brackets, it seems like K-State's sitting at about a three seed right now, but I think there's some room to grow with what other, you know, Big 12 teams who are seated above us have to play in our schedule going forward. I think we've got a chance to kind of win some games here. Um, you know, compete for a Big 12 championship possibly with four losses right now. Um, and then, you know, maybe sneak into a two seed, but we'll um, see how that plays out as it goes forward. Um, let's move on here to women's basketball, John. They did not play this week. Um, last time I played was Sunday and their loss at Texas Tech. Um, they will play number 16 Oklahoma this Sunday, 1 p.m. in Bramlage Coliseum. On Super Bowl Sunday, um, it's on ESPNU if you can't make it to Bramlage. But listen, it's not going to overlap with the Super Bowl. Don't you worry don't need about to watch, it. you know, the twelve hours of Super Bowl coverage. You don't need to watch the twelve <laughs> hours of the Eagles just blasting on the Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, John, I can't. You're just you're just driving listeners away from the show with this slander. I mean, how could you do this? You can't put. Uh, you got to do what's good brother, for the for the good of the show, John. My brother, it's not. This is not just Chiefs country, <sighs> my dude. My God. <laughs> well, anyway, it's mostly Chiefs country. Anyway, the last time OU came to Bramlage, Jasmine wouldn't want to admit it either. By the way, that is true. Being a oh, yeah, she's a Cowboys fan. That's just that's just a tough life. Um, the last time the Oklahoma Sooners came to Bramlage Coliseum, John Aoka Lee dropped sixty-one points on them and broke the NCAA record for most points in a game. So I'm going to guess they're going to remember that and be a tad motivated um, to try and beat the Cats here at home. Uh, the women's Catskillball team right now currently at 14-10, and 3-8 and eight in conference play, again coming off of that 78-68 to 68 loss to Texas Tech last Sunday. 
You know, I mean, Gabby Gregor has been the X factor for this team all year, John. If you want to pull off an upset um, and get another big one at home like you just did recently beating Iowa State, um, you're going to need a big performance from Gabby Gregory. And Oklahoma has a few playmakers on their own. You want to talk about Maddie Williams, uh, the the senior guard. She's averaging 16 uh, points a game uh, and shooting uh, .527. Uh, in terms of field goal percentage and 6.3 rebounds to go along with that as well. So K-State's going to have their hands full full with her. You're also going to have um, uh, Anna uh, La- La- Lanusa. Lanusa, yeah. Uh, <laughs> a redshirt senior guard. Uh, she's also averaging 13, 13 points um, and came away with 20 points against Baylor and Waco on Wednesday. Again, 1 p.m. on ESPNU on Sunday to watch the women's basketball team play Oklahoma. <clears throat> excuse me, and Gabby, or excuse me, Serena Sundell, who's coming off a really 27 point game in the loss to Texas Tech. She's been a big factor and part of this big sophomore class with you know mm-hmm. Sundell and the Glenn twins, who've really been, who were a big lift last year as freshmen and have still taken on big roles um, this season as sophomores. So um, you know, it'd be really great to pull off the upset over do it, Oklahoma. And do it for Gabby as well, the yeah, former play- Sooner, the former Sooner, and yeah, just just get the last slap for her sakes. Yeah, I mean that's crazy. You know, Keontae Johnson plays his former team, and Gabby Gregory well, playing more, her former it, team as more, well. It's more crazy from a Keontae. Yeah, that's true. Because it was guaranteed for Gabby, but well. <laughs> <laughs> it's still it's still you know still interesting. All right, let's pivot here, John. Let's talk Texas Tech tomorrow for the K State men's basketball team, six p.m. Big Twelve now on ESPN Plus in Lubbock, Texas. Um, we've talked about injuries with TCU and Oklahoma State. Texas Tech also dealing with some injuries themselves. Pop Isaacs and Fardaz Amak, um, who Amak gave us a decent amount of trouble. He's one of their big men. Well, Pop, well, in the Pop first Isaacs yep. <laughs> in the first game, I mean, he was just launching threes from everywhere. I think wasn't even one that made I the I think he hit the half-court yeah, shot. Yeah, he hit the half-court shot. I mean, he was an absolute thorn from the three-point line in an area in which I thought Texas Tech was going to have a hard time, a little bit of a difficult time with, considering K-State's uh, defense beyond the arc was uh, pretty lethal at the time. Uh, but m- with those players aside, one, you can't count Texas Tech out at, at the United Supermarkets Arena. I mean, that place is just like a, a, a living hell. Uh, <laughs> ne- 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 next thing you know, um, on top of that, you got um, some of the players uh, for Texas Tech that have been stepping up um, for uh, uh, for Isaacs and uh, for Isaacs. Uh, as well, I'm not too impressed with their big man. I'm just gonna, I'm yeah. just gonna call it the way it is. Uh, but Jalen Tyson, he finished the game with 20 points against Oklahoma State. He really looked like a star throughout. Um, really becoming one of the leaders for Texas Tech uh, at a desperate time. Um, I, I, you also got Elijah Fisher. He is a menace on defense. Was well, on the last possession against Oklahoma State, he was a he was locking down on Bryce Tom on Bryce Thompson. I mean, force of miss, and people might forget that two to what happened afterwards, which was just a, a terribly, uh, terribly uh, another terrible offensive position, which uh, end of a game. Um, you know, I mean, just looking, look, just looking at it on paper, there's nothing too impressive with Texas Tech, especially uh, when you when you leave out Pop Isaacs. Um, you, I mean, you didn't have a lot of guys. Uh, I mean, you had a lot of guys on Texas Tech. Bell were fouling way too much, sending players to the free throw line for Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State didn't shoot well from a free throw line, but they still made more free throw attempts than Texas Tech 
did. And you also got to point out the halftime adjustments. Throughout the past few games, Mark Adams and company have not done a, a good job uh, trying to find adjustments towards the second half. And on top of that, uh, the turnovers for Texas Tech. I mean, they had 16 uh, that were just absolutely putrid. Uh, watching that game, what was it, Wednesday night? Um, and then uh, their guards at times, they were just making some dumb mistakes. They gave Oklahoma State a lot of opportunities to get points up, uh, points off of lazy passes and turnovers, which kind of resides a little bit with K-State as well. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, you know, Pop Isaacs and Amec are both questionable for this game, and that's 22 points of production um, from, you know, that's going to be missing, possibly missing for Texas Tech, if, and they may not even be 100% if they play tomorrow. So, I mean, I don't know where Texas Tech is going to get that production from if they just need more from Kevin O'Banner or Davion Harmon. Yeah. Um, so we'll see where they get it from there. Let's pivot to a K-State side here. Um, we talked about this a little bit earlier, John, but my my two big questions are, can Marquise DeWall keep the turnovers down? His last four games, John, 26 turnovers, um, which is pretty brutal. Um, you know, even if he's played pretty well, I think you just got to keep the turnovers down. I think some of it may be they're just like, you know, he, the drive and kick is a big part of his game. But, you know, Marquise Wells 5'8", so, if, you know, maybe they're just res- not respecting the kick out and just saying, hey, like, go and finish it yourself instead of, you know, trying to kick it out. So that may have been a problem for him that he may have to adjust for. And Keontae Johnson, can he stay out of foul trouble? You know, can he be a big factor for this team? He still has been a factor despite having foul trouble. But being yeah. able to bring that aggressiveness and, you know, physicality that we've seen in previous games from Keontae while not having to, you know, play a little more cautious because, you know, he's got two or three fouls in a game um, could definitely open him up to, you know, have a have a bigger game. Uh, absolutely. And I think another thing to point out is the, when the last time these two teams played, Texas Tech, I mean, on their, on their end, they were just controlling the boards. What was it, 23 to 10 in terms of offensive rebounds? Uh, they also led in terms of second-chance points as well uh, pretty tremendously. Uh, but, but your factor in terms of the fifth position, your best player there, he's going to be gone. And next thing you know, you, you may have a little more of a difficult time against a K-State team who's starting to find their ways a little bit in terms of offensive rebounding. Uh, especially with how they did against TCU as well. You had uh, Keontae Johnson come away with seven. Tyke Green, uh, he, I mean, like we mentioned earlier on the show, he's starting to really pop off as well. Yeah, so I think, and I think this is going to be, I think it'll go as a, like a similar game to the last time we played Texas Tech. It'll be kind of close throughout. And I think we'll make a big run to kind of truly put it away. If we can get off to a big start and kind of calm down yeah. that Texas Tech crowd, I think that'll be really big going in a road environment on a team that's already kind of, you know, they're 1-10, in 10, you know. They're kind of already starting to give up on their season. Um, so that's all the time we have. So make sure to watch the Texas Tech game tomorrow. It should be a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Shake and Blake show here on Wildcat 91.9. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at ShakeandBlake785. Leave a review and follow the podcast again, Shake and Blake, where you find it. We'll be back Monday to recap the Texas Tech game and Cats by 90. Cats by 90.